Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and one verse tonight, and one verse only, verse 16, John 3, verse 16. February 14th is Valentine's Day. I know that uh, if you didn't know that before tonight, you knew that after the initial announcement. One billion cards will be sent on this event. A billion cards worldwide. It is considered the the largest card-sending occasion next to Christmas. Valentine's Day. Uh, Most of the cards go to teachers. Uh, Second on the list are students, kids, one to another. Um, Sweethearts who are adults, they get ranked fourth or fifth on that list. But you may not know that Valentine's Day has Christian roots. That it's actually named after one of two early Christian martyrs. Both named Valentine or Valentinius. Uh, it either goes back to Valentinius Romanus, St. Valentine of Rome, who was killed on February 14th, A.D. 269. The other possibility, and we're not exactly sure, that's why I say it's one of two, is a man named Valentine of Tourney. He was the bishop of that city and he was killed by Emperor Aurelian. But Time and secular culture have uh, transformed what was a great celebration of those who would stand against the government, the emperor, and stay true to the Christian faith. It has turned into simply a celebration of romantic love. And things have been thrown in like Cupid's. Cupid was the son of the goddess Venus, the goddess of love. The giving of roses stems back to the rose being the favorite flower of Venus, the goddess of love. But it truly, originally, was the idea of love for God in the celebration of God's love for us. Well, there was a group of professionals that asked a group of kids uh, who were age four to age eight what love means. Now, some of these are cute, and maybe you dismiss them, but some of them are pretty profound. Uh, One person said, this is love. When a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne... And they go out and they smell each other. Can you picture that? Yeah, love. Love is when you kiss all the time, says another child. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. (laughs) Mommy and daddy are like that. And they look gross when they kiss. Another child wrote, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and so he wears it every day. (laughs) Love is what's on Valentine's cards, stuff we'd like to say, but we wouldn't be caught dead ever saying it. Here's one that I like. When my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her. 
even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. And she's right. That is love. It's a demonstration of love. There's no subject that is so universally treated as love. There's no subject that has had more songs written about it or with the word in it than the word love. Why is that? Here's the simple reason. We all want it. We all crave it. We do almost anything to know that we are loved. Tonight, we consider the highest expression of love in the most famous verse of all in the Bible, and that is John 3.16. It has been called by some the Bible in a nutshell. Martin Luther said it's the Bible in miniature, because this one verse John 3.16 summarizes, encapsulates some of the most salient, wonderful truths of the Christian faith. John 3.16 is in the front of the Gideon's Bible, translated into 27 different languages. They've made it their practice. John 3.16 is stamped on the bottom rim inside of the paper cups of In-N-Out Burger. If you ever go there, the hamburger chain. Uh, the clothing chain Forever 21 has John 3.16 on the bottom of their shopping bags. But the, the most famous um, recognition of John 3.16 in modern times by our world is by a man named Roland Stewart, a.k.a. the Rainbow Man. Because in the 70s and 80s, some of you will remember, he's the guy that wore the rainbow-colored wig and held up signs at sporting events that said John 3.16. And boy, did he have it wired. I mean, he chose all the right spots. At NFL games, he was right between the two goalposts. So as that pigskin flew over between the sticks after it was kicked, he held up the sign and it was put on national television. At uh, baseball games, he was right behind home plate. Held it up. At the Masters, he held up John 3.16 just over the right shoulder of Jack Nicholas as he teed off. And others saw it and they were teed off because of it as well. But John 3.16 is actually a verse that tells us about God's plan to rescue people. It's God's plan of salvation in a single verse. And so we want to unpack this verse and look at God's plan and do it and then take the Lord's Supper together. So we begin just taking apart this single verse, phrase by phrase, unpacking it. We begin with the origin of God's plan. And that is God. It begins by saying, for God. Notice that the phrase, the verse, doesn't begin by saying, for man was so looking for a way to better himself that God sent his son. No, we didn't begin it. We didn't start it. God didn't leave it up to us. He initiated the whole process. First John 4.19, we love him because he first, he first loved us. You remember back in the garden when Adam sinned, when he blew it. It was God that called out, Adam... Where are you? Adam wasn't looking for God. Adam was hiding from God. God was the one doing the searching. Malcolm Muggeridge used to call God the hound of heaven. It was his term. The hound of heaven. There's no hope without this. Every now and then somebody will tell me, I'm, I'm really searching for God. And 
I always like to remind them he's not lost. And actually, the truth is he has been looking for you for a long time. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to his own way. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive. We're dead. We're helpless. Dead people don't help themselves. Dead people don't better themselves or improve themselves. They're incapable. So the origin of the plan for God, the motivation, the next two words, so loved. I love that. It doesn't say, for God was so angry with this world and that whole bunch of sinners that he sent his son down to punch them out. Or for God was so disgusted or God was so bored generation after generation. It says, for God, here's the motivation, so loved. That's the essence of his nature. The Bible says God is love. Boy, that is so simple to say, and it's so hard for some of us to believe. Some of us have sung songs since we were little kids all about God's love, and here we are, adults, having a hard time believing it and resting in it, doubting it. Dwight Lyman Moody, the preacher from Chicago in the 1800s, decided that he would embark upon a study of God's love. He looked up every single verse in the Bible, in his concordance, that had to do with God's love. And at the end of it, he said, There is no truth in all of the Bible that ought to affect us as much as the love of God. It made an impact on this author, John, who gave us not only the Gospel of John, but First John where he writes in chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Or you might translate it, What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? Well, it's a different kind of love. And here's why we have a hard time with God's love. It is so absolutely different than our kind of love. You see, human love is object-oriented. It sees things or people and says, I like that thing, I like that person, or I decide to love that person. It is based on the object, not God's love. It is subject-oriented. It is based upon His own nature, not upon the nature of the object. Thus, His love is indiscriminate. It is total. It is perfect. You are loved by God, not because you deserve it, But because, just because, that is his nature. It is his decision. It's based upon who he is, not upon who we are. And God doesn't have any favorites. It's not like, well, he loves Billy Graham more than he loves you. Or he'll listen to so-and-so more than he'll listen to you. God has no favorites. There was a young woman who was having a conversation. She had three kids. She was talking to a psychiatrist. And the good doctor asked her a simple question. Which one of your kids do you love the most? It's a hard one to answer. She had the right answer. She goes, I love them all the same. Doctor said, uh, that won't cut it. It's psychologically impossible to prefer three human beings equally. She looked at him and 
she broke down in tears. She says, you're right, you're right. When he's sick, I love him more. When she's in pain, I love her more. When something's wrong in his life, I love that one more. But except for those exceptions, I love them all the same. God so loved, and his love is perfect, it's indiscriminate, it is searching. Number three is the destination of God's plan. That is the world. For God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? Try this. <gasps> if air comes out, you're part of the world. If you're breathing, if you're kicking, you're part of the world that God loved. Now here is love at its widest. This is love at its widest. The Bible says God loved the world. That's, that's the scope of His plan. Not for God so loved one group like Americans, or God loves white people, or God loves middle class, or God only loves the elect. I know that drives some people nuts, and I love it. God so loved the world, all of the world. And keep in mind who he's speaking to. He's still talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus believed that God loved only the elect Jews, and he was one of them. He loved those who were of the offspring of Abraham only. God would destroy the Gentiles. What a shock, for God so loved the world. Not just Western culture, not just those that have a sign, I'm God's elect, but all the world. And here's why. Because... We have a disease called sin. Each one of us is S-I-N positive. And there's only one cure, and the cure is universal. Just like a heart disease, you can give medicine to a patient in America or in Zimbabwe or down under in Australia or in Europe. Doesn't matter where. The cure is universally the same. Lung disease cures are universally the same. Hansen's disease cure is universally the same. The cure for sin is universally the same. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what if it said here, For God so loved the good people of the world. Well, quite honestly, we could understand that. Because that's, again, our kind of love. God would love the good people of the world. But it would eliminate all of us. Because we're not on our best behavior every single day, every single moment. There's times we're good and there's times we know that we're not. So God isn't up there saying, well, I love you today, but you not so much. Nope. His love is not precarious. His love is not moody. It is not selective. It includes everyone. However, you can come to a place where though God is loving you, you don't feel it. You don't experience it. Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. His love is always and for all people, but we don't always experience it. Just like the sun may be shining, but if you're outside in the shade, under a tree or under an umbrella, you're not going to um, enjoy the warmth of those rays. Even though the sun's doing its work, you're not benefiting from it. Then we have the fourth, and that is the demonstration of God's plan. That he gave his only begotten son. Imagine it, moms. Imagine it, fathers. He gave his only begotten son. You know, sometimes I think I do a pretty good job of loving people. Sometimes I even think I love them really deeply until I think about this. 
And I realized I wouldn't give my son for any of those people. Nor would you. God gave his only begotten son, Monogenes, the only begotten one, the unique one for us all. He didn't loan us his son. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to loan you my son for a while. He'll help you clean up your act. And that's it. He gave us his son. He gave because, and that is the thrust, by the way, of the, of the construction of this verse, is that he gave. He so loved that he gave. Because true love, true love must be active. True love can never be passive. If there is really love between two people or between one group and another group, there must be some active demonstration of it. I meet couples all the time who say they have fallen out of love with each other. And if you probe, certainly the demonstrations are not there. They stop giving to each other. Not just gifts. They stop giving time. They stop giving energy in the relationship, caring in the relationship. God so loved that he gave. That's active love. And what did he give? What did he give? He gave better English than I have. (laughs) He gave his absolute best. His one and only flawless, perfect, sinless son. The best. There was an astronaut. I spoke about a cosmonaut last week. There was an astronaut, an American astronaut, who was being interviewed by the press after his... um, walk on the moon many years ago. And the press said, when you were on the moon and you were looking at the earth, what thoughts went through your mind? He said, well, quite honestly, I couldn't help but thinking that my spacecraft had been built by the lowest bidder. That's a rattling thought. I got all the way to the moon, but NASA probably didn't spend... As big a bucks as they could, they spent a lot, but it was built by the lowest bidder. When God needed to save the earth, when God came up with a plan to rescue people, he didn't go to the lowest bidder. He gave the highest and paid the highest cost, his only begotten son. Here is the invitation that whoever, that whoever, who can be saved? Whoever. Who is salvation offered to? Whoever. God isn't picky. Whoever believes in Him. A couple of verses I'll throw in that go along with this. We'll read it in John 4. To the Samaritan woman, Jesus will say, Whoever drinks of this water that I give to him will never thirst again. In Revelation 21 The spirit and the bride say, come, let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come and whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. Whoever, are you one of the whoever's? There are some places on earth that are, well, we call them exclusive places, members-only places, places you and I can't just walk in. They'll stop you at the door. You have to have certain credentials to get in, or you have to have clearances to get in, or you have to own property there to get in, or belong to the club to get in. Do you know it's easier to get into heaven than it is into every other, every single Christian university on earth? 
You can't just say, I believe. They won't let you in. You have to pass tests. You get into heaven by just believing. We'll get to that in a minute. But whoever, whoever, the biggest surprise in heaven is going to be the people who are there. Bunch of whoever's. And you're going to look at some of them and you're going to go, however, did you get here? And they'll say, I was thinking the same thing when I saw your face. It's because of all the whoever's that God accepted. It's going to be a big surprise. The other big surprise in heaven is who's not there. Nicodemus thought he was there just because of who he was and what he had done. And the whole idea of a new birth was so foreign to him. But whoever, whoever, that's the invitation. Here's the qualification, believes. That whoever believes in him, you don't have to clean up your life first. That's not what it says. You couldn't do it if you tried. It's the gospel. It's good news. What do I have to do? Here it is. Ready? Believe. Believe. That's a requirement. Believe. But we hinted on this a couple of times so far leading up to this evening. The, the idea of believe doesn't just include I acknowledge that there is a God and that uh, he had a son named Jesus. I believe in those facts. It's more than to acknowledge. The Greek word is a strong word. It is the word pistuo. And it can be translated to commit to, to rely on, to adhere to, to trust in, or to place all of your weight on. I love that. There was a Bible translator at a tribe. I forget the exact place. But um, there wasn't a good word in translating believe in that language. And so he was talking to the... Um, elders of the village trying to get the right word for his Bible translation of John 3.16 is he was describing faith. One of the elders got up from the campfire, ran into the tent and laid down on a cot and said, you mean this? And so the translation for that tribe literally would read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever lays his whole weight on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that good? People will say, Skip, Jesus is your crutch. I think of that little story when they tell me, they go, oh no, he's not. He's my stretcher. i got to lay all the way, all my weight on him. Not just part of it, all of it. That's the idea, believe. I told you a story, you may have even read of the great Blondin. He was the great acrobat who was purported to string a wire across Niagara Falls and walked across Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side and back. Thousands of people watched him, applauded. He did it again blindfolded. They applauded. He did it again on a bicycle. They applauded. He did it again with a wheelbarrow full of bricks. They applauded even more. And then he announced to the crowd, how many of you believe I could do it with a human inside? And they all said, yes, we believe, we believe. And then he asked for a volunteer. Not one. Not one. Can Jesus save people? Yep, we believe. Will you get in the wheelbarrow? Will you put all your weight and trust in him? It's one thing to acknowledge the greatness of a parachute. It's another thing to jump out of the plane. Put everything on it. 
And here is the uh, final, the ramification. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Should not perish, but like him who has everlasting life, also enjoy everlasting life. South African converts have called the Bible the book of beautiful words, and they often refer to this little phrase when they say, this is why we call it that. Because whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have as a free gift everlasting life. Jesus perished so you wouldn't have to perish. Jesus died so that you'd never have to die. He gave his life so that he could give you everlasting life. Live forever with him. But notice there's a flip side. Because that is implied here by this last phrase. Whoever believes will not perish. That would seem to imply that if you don't believe, you will perish. And the everlasting life, the living forever, won't be in the kingdom. There's a possibility of perishing, eternal perishing. And so there was a man talking about Christ with his friend. And his friend was thinking about converting to Christianity. And he said, you know, I, I just, I'm just not sure... I can pay the price to become a Christian. And his friend said, Have you ever thought what it will cost you not to become a Christian? And referred to this. He perished so that you wouldn't have to perish, but if you don't believe in him, you will perish. If I were to give you this book, and I let's say I put a, a pen in it. I give you this book, I put a pen in it. Okay, now I say, take this book. When you take this book, guess what you also have? You got a pen. It comes with it. When you take Christ, you have life. When you take Christ as Savior, life comes with it. It's the same thing. You don't get life without Christ. Christ is the one that came from heaven to give life. Christ is the only one that by His blood secured eternal life. You take Christ, eternal life comes with the package. In a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, the elements of the Lord's Supper. I wanted to save this verse, just to mull it over phrase by phrase and take it as consideration before we take the Lord's Supper together. In taking the Lord's Supper, when you take the elements, much like that little illustration of taking the Bible with a pen, you're signifying, I have already taken Christ's personally into my life as Savior and Master. I've done it. If you have done that, then you take these elements and you take them freely. None of this nonsense, well, I'm not perfect. You don't know what I've done this week. Get that out of your head. You bring that to Christ. You lay it down. You take confidently the Lord's Supper. If you have not taken Christ as Savior, let the elements pass you by. Don't take them. Don't drink them. Because they are to signify that you have already taken Christ. If you haven't already taken Christ, the Bible says what you're doing is eating and drinking condemnation unto yourself. You're sort of putting out a red flag. God, over here. I'm the one who didn't do what I'm saying I did by these elements. So don't do it. Pass it by. That's one alternative. That's only if you refuse to take Christ. But maybe your heart's soft. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you for some time. And you would say, 
I don't want to live this way. I want to change. Then take Christ. Then believe in Him. Then commit your whole life to Him. Get in the wheelbarrow. And then once you've done that, you take these elements with the rest of us. Wherever you're sitting tonight, bow your head with me for just a moment. And if you've come tonight and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, then you tell Him that you want Him to be. Something like this. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I need saving. I don't want to live this way continually. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I trust that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that he did it for me. I turn from my sin with your help. I turn my life completely over to you, leaning completely upon you, trusting totally in you to save me. I take you as my Savior. Help me to live for you as my Master. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.